Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. God, we we thank you that we've been saved by the name, the authority of Jesus. God, there's no other name given among men under heaven by which we can be saved, but we can be saved by Jesus. He made it all. He died to restore it all. God, in Him, there is life and breath and meaning and joy and the ability to lean into worship. And I pray, God, that we would be heartened and encouraged by that message today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. And if you have your copy of God's Word, if you would take it and join me in turning to Psalm 29. Psalm 29. Uh, the, The ability of those last two songs, holy, 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 and the powerful name, the beautiful name of Jesus, and their connective tissue with this psalm is just incredible. Two weeks ago, we were in Psalm 28. I took a brief break last week to to give a a sermon on baptism and what it means and its significance, but today we're, we're back in the book of the Psalms, and you'll recall in Psalm 28 that David cries out for the Lord to hear him. He He's in a world of opposition. He's in a world of hostility. He's in a world of enemies. And he cries out that he would hear God. That God would hear him. And then interestingly, in Psalm 29, we will see the voice of the Lord seven times in 11 verses in this song of praise to God. I've often heard it said that I don't much enjoy 7 and 11 praise songs. Have you all ever heard that? Seven Seven courses, 11 times, and, and I understand the spirit of that, but the, the place that we get repetition in music is from the Psalms. The Psalms are highly repetitive because they're trying to build into our cold hearts warm affections for God, and sometimes it takes hearing it more than once for the Spirit to grab hold of you and to lift your countenance and to get you to consider eternity and the realities of God rather than the stuff you're walking through in the here and now. All right, is, is this on? Anybody walking through some stuff this morning? You might, you might need to hear that God's name is powerful and it's beautiful more than once so that you can move out of where you are and into what is truly real. That you can really behold and consider who God is. And so we're going to read a a hymn of praise to our God this morning, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is God's Word, penned by David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, about the powerful voice of the Lord God Almighty. Let's hear the Word of the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. 
the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in His temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as King forever. May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. David, writing in a time where it seems God's people don't have peace, where it seems perhaps God's strength is failing or His people are failing, when he is surrounded by enemies, And I can't help but think that God knew, like in eternity past, He knew that our brothers and sisters would be under assault today in a nation like like Afghanistan. He knew that you would be facing adversity in your life, circumstances in your life that are less than ideal, and that you would feel as though you were being surrounded by something that you couldn't conquer, and that what you would need to be reminded of most is the powerful voice of the Lord. That the Lord wins. And that wherever you are this morning, if you're in Christ, you are victorious in Him. And while it may look like defeat in your life, while it may look like discouragement in your life, that if you'll lift your eyes to the Lord who speaks, there's victory to be found there. There's praise that can be offered in the middle of the storm. And what we see in Psalm 29, I want to share with you three truths that I believe we can see in this psalm is is to to stand before the awesome voice of the Lord in praise. To, To walk through a world where you're surrounded by enemy attack and yet to be able to offer praise to God. The the first truth I want to share with you from from verses one and two is this we must give God the glory due his name. We must give God the glory due his name. To make that a a little more simplified, we could just say it this way. We must worship the Lord alone. We can't worship anything else. There's nothing else that will satisfy your soul. There's nothing else that will deliver you ultimately from the enemy. In verses 1 and 2, we see a threefold command. Do you see it in line 1, 2, and 3? Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord. And then in the fourth line, the second line of verse 2, worship the Lord. What does it mean to ascribe to the Lord anything? It means to give or to bring something to Him. And in this case, it's to account God, to to determine, to declare that God is worthy of all that we could give. He is worthy of glory and strength. We are to ascribe to Him the glory due His name. What are the elders and Revelation 4, do in eternity. 
around the throne of our King. They declare, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive what? Glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So we are to give God glory and strength. We're to acknowledge that it is not us who are glorious. It is not us who are strong. He is the one who has glory and strength and honor and power and blessing. And then we get this clarifying note in the last line of verse 2. Worship the Lord. What does it mean to worship? The word literally means to bow down. To prostrate oneself upon the ground. To get as low as one possibly can in declaring the exaltedness of the God we stand before. To worship the Lord is to recognize His matchless supremacy. So in the first two verses, we have a call to recognize how exalted the Lord is in glory and strength and holiness, but, but what is a, but a bit unclear, and Bible scholars differ on this, is who exactly is being commanded to do this? In the ESV, it says, heavenly beings. The, the challenge with interpreting who is being called to ascribe glory to the Lord is the term is only used four times in the entire Hebrew New Testament, and it varies widely in its meaning depending upon the context. So in Exodus 15.11, it is used to describe pagan gods who are negatively compared with Yahweh. The literal meaning of the words is the sons of God or the sons of the mighty, so it can refer to angels, it can refer to people who are believers who are the sons of God, or it can refer to idols. Great. Which is it? Well, pastor, that's your job. Why don't you tell me? Uh, is David telling all the pretend gods to acknowledge that there's one true holy God? Is he telling God's people, the sons of the mighty, to worship God? Or is, there he, or is he giving us a picture of the heavenly worship of God, and, and here's the answer. You ready? Write it down. I don't know. <laughs> I spent all week trying to figure it out, and the arguments are so convincing in so many different directions. I, I really am not sure. Kidner, who is a commentator that I, that I think does really well in the Psalms, he believes it's the heavenly worship of God. He says this, The towering majesty of the Lord dominates this poem with the opening scene in heaven where supernatural beings are paying the Lord homage. And if that's right, if you get all the way down to verse 11, then the psalm begins in heaven with the worship of God and it ends with peace on earth for the people of God. Maybe that's right. I'm not sure. Here's what I do know. The implications of any of those interpretations are exactly the same. It, let me say that again. No matter what it is, the implications for you and me are identical. If David is rhetorically mocking the false gods and saying, you need to see that you're nothing and that the Lord is everything and bow down to Him, then what's the implication for our lives? Stop worshiping idols. Even the idols are going to have to worship the Lord. So why are you worshiping idols? Why don't you see that they are a bunch of giant nothing burgers now and one day... They're going to be exposed for the frauds that they are. Stop living your life worshiping idols that one day will have to worship God. Y'all tracking? Okay. 
Or if, he, if he's talking directly to believers as the sons of the mighty, then it's clear. Give glory to God. Stop giving glory to yourself and all these other things that we ascribe glory and strength to. And we think our 401k is going to make us strong. Did you know your 401k can't save you in a car accident? Your 401k can't save your child when they get childhood cancer. It will do nothing for you when you are confronting eternity. Absolutely nothing. And finally, if, if David is talking about heavenly beings, angels surrounding the Lord, ascribing glory to Him, then that just amplifies our appreciation for how high and exalted the Lord is, right? We don't worship the angels. We worship the Lord who created the angels that they might worship Him. So in verses 1 and 2, we are either implicitly or directly being commanded to give the Lord glory and strength, to ascribe Him the glory due His name, the name which is above every other name, and to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. I, I love when the text that I have to preach is filled with confusing terminology, but here's another one, the splendor of holiness. It's also used infrequently, and it could either refer to the holiness of the worshipers, that, that we come before God in holiness, or it can refer to the holiness of the Lord. In other words, worship the Lord for the holiness that He has. God doesn't have adornment or clothes, but if He did, His clothing would be holiness. And I think it's most likely that what David is writing about is the holiness of God. Worship the Lord for the adornment or the splendor of His Holiness. The word holy means to be set apart. We worship God because He's holy, because He has glory, because He has strength. The word glory means weighty or heavy. It means to sense the matchless significance of the Lord. Do you know the word gravitas? Weightiness. That's the word glory. It is he settles down upon us in such a way that you feel the significance of His infinite, matchless might. Wilson says this, To see God's glory is to know Him as He really is at the core of His being. Which leads us to, to count Him as worthy of glory. It leads us to understand that He alone, God alone, not my spouse, my kids, my house, or anything else, can satisfy the deepest longing of my heart. He alone has the glory that I want to encounter and be lifted up by. Secondly, He has strength. The Lord has unmatched strength. He fights for and delivers His people after the Lord of the Israelites, the Lord, excuse me, led the Israelites through the Red Sea. Moses says this, the Lord is my strength and my song. So what does it mean for us to ascribe glory to the Lord? It means to refuse to be the main character in your life story. The faster you figure out that living life for the glory of God rather than your own glory, the faster you will be on the path to real joy. To ascribe strength to God is to trust in Him not only for eternal salvation in eternity, but right now in the everyday cares of life. This church is how we give glory to God. The glory due His name. The name of the one who just is the great I am. We give Him glory by laying our lives down 
that he might be lifted up. The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, welcomes us as worshipers. And the longer that we worship him, the more we see that he alone is worthy of our praise and our hope and our confidence. We worship him because he's worthy of glory and strength and also holiness. The word holiness is to be set apart. There's nothing more set apart in the world than the Lord. Did you know that? You say, well, what do you mean? The Lord Lord came down, He's with us. Yes, God comes down to us, but He is still the only uncreated being in the universe. Everything else that is, is created. The Lord is uncreated. And He is perfect in His holiness. He stands apart. And praise God, He revealed Himself to us as Yahweh, the self-existent, uncreated I Am. And He speaks judgment upon His enemies and life and blessing to those who glory in His name. We must ascribe to the Lord glory. Secondly, we must trust the Lord's voice will ultimately conquer all that is opposed to Him. We must trust the Lord's voice will ultimately conquer all that is opposed to him. We see that in verses 3 through 9. In Psalm 28, David asked the Lord not to be silent. And in Psalm 29, God is not silent. His voice thunders. What we have in verses 3 through 9 is the picture of a massive storm. It's something like a theophany, which is a manifestation of the presence of God in a way that connects with our senses. It's hard to think about the power of God, right? I mean, it's so abstract. He's, he's, he just is. And he's, he's everywhere, and He's omnipotent, and He's all-powerful, but how do I put my hands around that? How do I understand that? And the psalmist is giving us an understanding of the power of God by using the illustration of a massive storm. His voice thunders over the waters, verse 3. Longman says this, God's voice, indeed God Himself, dominates the waters that represent chaos. And I would add that they also represent death. God is over death. He's over the chaos of this world. Aren't you glad to serve a Lord who stands over the chaos of this world? David describes a a massive storm full of thunder. And in verse 7, we see lightning, forked fire, aside From a time during Solomon's reign, a brief time during Solomon's reign, most of the territory that is mentioned in verses 3 through 9 as being affected by this storm are places that are beyond Israel's northern border. They are places of rival peoples and rival gods. And Wilson summarizes the path of the storm like this. We see a storm that originates over the Mediterranean Sea and then goes across the wilderness of Kadesh, associated with the ancient city of that name. It's, it's imagery. I, I love verses 3 through 9. It's, it's imagery that we can see in our mind's eye and we can hear in our mind's ear, right? Look at verse 4. His thunderous voice is called powerful and majestic. Powerful and majestic. We understand the power of a thunderstorm, right? Everybody's seen a thunderstorm, a tree blown over. Storm comes in, stuff happens. But what about majestic? There's a a beautiful quality to the powerful voice of the Lord. You know, I've learned something about people in thunderstorms. They either love them or they hate them. 
Some of, y'all, some of y'all grew up, and it was like, as soon as there's a crack of lightning, your mom was like, get inside the house, don't be near the windows, the whole world is coming to an end right now, there's a thunderstorm. I've got a few of those people in my family, and I love them very much. But I'm not one of those people. As soon as the crack of lightning comes, and the thunder peals, and the clouds darken, what do I do? I run outside. Like, this is going to be awesome. Now, I don't know which side of the fence you are on, but to understand the Lord's voice as majestic, you got to be a little bit like those crazy people that chase storms, that are drawn like a moth to a flame, to this incredible demonstration of power. Why are there storm chasers? The people that buy equipment. And go get as close to a tornado as they can because there's, there's something in that that is captivating. There's something in that that is compelling. Because in those moments, we get a, we get a glimpse, just a glimpse uh, of the awesome, majestic, landscape-altering power of the voice of the Lord. Right now, the Taliban think they're powerful. Right now, Al-Qaeda thinks they're powerful. Right now, your cancer thinks it's powerful. Right now, the adversity in your marriage and your defeat thinks it's powerful. But there is something that can conquer all of that, and it is the voice of the Lord which stands over everything. And these natural phenomena are just the beginning of helping us comprehend the matchless power and beauty when the Lord's voice breaks through your life. You think rolling thunder is powerful? Consider the voice of the Lord. You think a Category 5 hurricane rolling over Puerto Rico, downing trees like twigs is powerful? It is. But it's nothing compared to the voice of the Lord. Of the Lord. Nothing can conquer His voice. What's more powerful than the challenges you face in this fallen world? It is the powerful promises carried in the voice of God. His voice breaks the cedars of Lebanon, verse 5. These cedars were famous for their size and their strength in the ancient Near East. We are not talking about pine trees. We're talking about trees used to build something to last. Trees that were harvested by specially trained foresters. King Solomon imported them from Lebanon for the specific purpose of constructing his palace in the temple. 1 Kings chapter 5. In Isaiah 2, the prophet foresees the great Day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment, the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And he says this, in that day the cedars and the mountains, with everything that man finds impressive, will finally be brought low. In a world of chaos and death, in a world that seems poised to overtake us, David doesn't look at his enemies and he doesn't look at his problems. He looks to the one whose voice will one day break the cedars like toothpicks. And then he adds this in the second line of verse 5, the Lord breaks the cedars. You say, well, why would you point that out, Pastor? Because you can't separate the Lord's voice and the Lord. What God says, God does. What he has spoken in his word is what he has spoken once and for all to his people. So we can't monkey around with the Bible and love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you're going to love his word. If you love his word, that's how you love Jesus. You can't obey Jesus and deny his word. 
Y'all, y'all hear? What God says about Himself is revealing who He is. They are inseparable. Genesis 1, God speaks the world into existence. John chapter 1, what do we learn? The Word of God is Jesus powerfully creating, or the Son of God powerfully creating the world. In verses 6 through 9, David keeps showing us the power of the voice of the Lord. In verse 6, the Lord causes the whole range, the, the mountain range in Lebanon to shake, and its southernmost peak, Sirion, also known as Mount Hermon in Deuteronomy 3, he causes them to skip like a calf or like a young wild ox. Do you get to, it'd be like, be like the great rocky mountains being moved. That's the image. Dancing around like a young animal. His thunderous voice shakes the most stable things on earth. In verse 7, we get a picture most likely of lightning. His voice flashes forth flames of fire. In verse 8, he shakes the wilderness. And the word shakes here means to, to writhe or to twist or even to gyrate like in dancing. He makes the, the arid tundra wilderness twist up like a tornado rolling through. In verse 9, it's difficult to know whether David is writing about the Lord's voice leading the deer to give premature birth or of the twisting of oak trees. If, when I read in the ESV, if you had a different translation, it might have said that he twists the oak trees. And you say, well, which is it? Is it the premature birth of a deer as the forest go down, or is it the twisting of oak trees? I don't know, because the difference in Hebrew language is uh, the pointing of a vowel. So we're not sure. And translators are divided on that. But here's what's clear. His voice rolls through the forest, and it strips them bear and his voice conquers all that is set against the Lord in his people at Mount Sinai before Moses goes up and receives the Ten Commandments do you remember how the Lord's voice is described it's described as the voice of thunder and the voice of a trumpet it is God's voice that scatters the Philistines in 1 Samuel 7 chapter 10 in Elijah's battle do you remember his famous battle on top of Mount Carmel with the with uh, the prophets of Baal Baal, by the way, is what? The thunder god of Canaan. Which god wins? The one true God, Yahweh. He thunders from heaven and He pours down the rain. And this morning, you might be thinking, you know, that's kind of terrifying. This description of the Lord's voice and its power coming in judgment upon the enemies of God. And if you're apart from Christ, it is terrifying. The, the Lord is the one true God. And one day all other voices and idols and sinful passions will not stand before His voice. A voice that reflects His glory and His power and His strength and His holiness. But here's some good news this morning. God doesn't just speak judgment and devastation to His enemies. But He speaks life and blessing to those who will hear His voice today and heed its warning. Jeremiah tells us the reason God speaks judgment is that we might repent and run to Him and find life and blessing. We all deserve this morning the full force of the voice of God in judgment, but there is a way of escape. There's a way to understand Psalm 29 as a hymn of great praise to a great God. Because 
the one who spoke creation in existence and is entirely holy, came down to redeem the creation that rebelled against him. He came to earth. He was born of the Virgin Mary so that he would not inherit the sin nature of Adam. And he was named Jesus because he would live and he would die and he would be raised to save us from our sins so that we could hear the Lord's voice, not in trembling, but in joy. When we see Jesus, we've seen the Father. When we hear Jesus, we hear the Father. And this morning, if you will look to Christ and trust in Him, the Lord's voice will no longer sound like anger and destruction, but it will sound like your deliverance. It will sound like blessing and hope and a future as it does to the martyrs in Afghanistan this very day who give their lives and seal their faith, their faith with their blood. How do they do it? They do it with Psalm 29 in mind. One day God will vindicate the faith of those who trust in Him. He is not ignorant of those who are suffering for the great name of Jesus today. You can have that same kind of confidence in the face and in the voice of the Lord, knowing that one day Christ will return and all the lies and the chaos and the death and the idols and the enemies that distress you now are going to be toppled faster than the towering cedars of Lebanon. Trust in Him today and have that confidence. If you can hear the voice of the Lord calling you to salvation today, don't harden your hearts like the Israelites in the wilderness. Instead, open to your heart to Jesus Christ who died so that you could live forevermore. And finally, we see in this psalm in verses 9 and 11, nine, the end of verse 9 through 11 rather, we must glorify the Lord our King and walk in His strength and peace. We must glorify the Lord our King and walk in His strength and peace. Following this picture of massive destruction, what is on the other side of the massive destruction at the end of verse 9? Glory, worship, people streaming into the presence of God, the splendid, brilliant, truth-telling, all-powerful, unconquerable Lord has done what He said He would do, and the nations roll into the presence of God, and they cry, glory. This is a picture, ultimately, of the everlasting realities that are on the way for God's people. When Christ comes in judgment, it will be salvation for those who trust in Jesus. But did you know we don't have to wait for the end to glorify the Lord? Do you know you can glorify God today? If you belong to Christ, if Christ has saved you, if the Spirit of God has changed you on the inside and made you a new creature, the Bible says you are indwelled by the Spirit of God and our job now is to give praise to our Maker. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price, so do what? Glorify God in your body. Give your life to glorifying God your maker. In a world of chaos, verse 10 tells us that our Lord sat enthroned over the flood and He now sits as enthroned King forever. The, the mention of the flood is a reference back to Noah's flood. In fact, we don't see this word in the Old Testament from Genesis chapters 6 through 11 until Psalm 29. And here's what David is saying. 
Back then, when it was just Noah and his family and the whole world was surrounded by water, who was over the floodwaters? The Lord was there. The Lord was in control. He was saving His people. He was redeeming His creation. And David looks back to look forward. He looks back to the flood to say, if God did that then, when judgment comes again, He will still stand over the waters. He is still King. He is still enthroned. He is still Lord. And those who are in the ark of Christ will be lifted up safely over the flood of judgment to dwell with their King forever. Which is why David can say, may God give His people strength and peace Delich says this, the closing word with peace is like a rainbow arch over the whole psalm. The beginning of the psalm shows us heaven opened up and the glory of God being praised. And its close shows us His victorious people upon the earth, blessed with peace in the midst of the terrible utterance of His wrath. We have nothing to fear in the voice of the Lord if we've been rescued by the one who came, Jesus Christ, the Word of God. Though for now chaos abounds, the Lord still reigns. He is King forever, and as we see in verse 11, He will strengthen His people, and He will bring peace on earth to them. How is it with you? In the storms of life, do you know the voice and the Word of God who left heaven to give you peace? Do you know the one who in the middle of the storm on the Sea of Galilee said, Stop, be still. And is he stilling the storms in your life? Do you know the one who in Matthew 14 walked on the stormy waters? And do you know the one who Revelation 13 tells us there's a day coming when the beast will arise out of the sea and Jesus will vanquish him and condemn him forevermore? Do you know the king who's enthroned over the flood? When you hear the mighty, powerful, majestic voice of God, do you run into the inside of your house in fear? Or do you run outside and say, that's my God? Let's pray. God in heaven, There are some people in this room who are terrified by your voice because they have not yet fallen at your feet and found the joy that comes in giving you the glory and the strength and the honor and the worship that you are due. So God, if there's anyone in this room who does not know the joy of falling at your feet and leaning into giving their lives to glorify you. God, I pray today that you would shake them, that you would awake them, and that they would be gloriously saved. And God, for those who do know your voice, those who know your voice and, and know it's a, not just a thunderous voice, but a, a still small voice in the heart of the believer giving the witness of the Holy Spirit in assurance. God, I pray that you would mobilize us afresh not to be distracted by the world around us, by the evil swirling, but God, that we would fix our eyes on Christ and the good end that He is bringing for His people and we would be resolute in living for His glory. God, I love you and I love your people and I believe with all my heart we needed Psalm 29 today. 
God, speak powerfully in this time of invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.